Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 627, air date May 23rd, 2020. Okay, good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. It's um, a little past 8.30. Today, we're going to have a conversation um, with Kyle Wolf. Kyle is a local entrepreneur as well as a, a local skilled worker. And um, we're going to have a conversation about my race for Senate. And we're going to have an open conversation. Kyle's going to ask uh, different questions. Him and his uh, brothers and friends in Massachusetts, they're from the Taunton area, which is south of Boston. Uh, have been very interested in our campaign in many ways. So we're going to have an exciting conversation. Um, before I start, I want to uh, read you something um, uh, that I have uh, from the book System and Revolution. A number of people, I got a lot of emails back yesterday saying, hey, you know, we'd like to read, hear you read more, you know, small paragraphs from the books. So I'll do that. And that's this book here, um, System and Revolution. It's a book that I... You know, I don't write a lot of stuff. Some people just write all sorts of stuff. Um, I write things with the aim of really educating people on some very, very central issues. Um, some of you may know um, the essence of our campaign for U.S. Senate really has a particular slogan, which is really about truth, freedom, and health. And if people have an opportunity to go to the uh, shivaforsenate.com website, you'll get a real understanding of what's going on. So if you go to shivaforsenate.com, you'll see that the website uh, has these three things, truth, freedom, and health. Um, and the essence of this is without um, freedom, we can't really get to truth. And freedom is something that the United States, you know, at least the Constitution was based on the First Amendment, Second Amendment, et cetera. But the notion of it is much deeper than that. The notion of it is that we have the opportunity to have open discourse and debate and conversations. Uh, and from that environment, we're able to practice a scientific method. And the scientific method is something that's central to discovering truth, which is um, if you go back to the essence of the scientific method, what it says is you observe something in nature, could be anything, apple falls from the tree, then you ask a question um, and you make a hypothesis of why you think that apple fell from the tree. And then based on that, you start doing a series of experiments. Those experiments typically uh, lead to results and, a result, and, and those results help you um, decide if your hypothesis was right or not. And if it isn't, it doesn't matter who you are, what your name is, um, you're just wrong and you go around the process again. That's called the scientific method. But it begins with a real um, sense of openness and a real sense of awe of how nature works. And it's not about what you believe, it's about what actually is. And so when you don't uh, have freedom to practice a scientific method, you end up with scientific consensus. And unfortunately, in the United States, we've lost the essence of STEM education. Um, and what that's led to is a lot of people you see on the internet, just grifters, as some people call them, talking heads who just write whatever they want without a real sense of ever going deep into anything. And this is why, in my opinion, that all this uh, quote unquote pandemic stuff took place because the, the news media, you can watch them, were sleeping on this. One day they're saying this, include it be it Tucker Carlson, be it the left wing or the right wing. They're saying, oh yeah, this is an awful pandemic. I was the only one because I took a systems approach. I called this early on. I said, this entire thing is a fear mongering hoax. 
But that essence comes from an understanding of systems. So as a part of our campaign, when people uh, support the campaign, my our goal uh, beyond the U.S. Senate race is to really teach people what is a system and how to operate. So when people support our campaign, it's not a one-way street. You're just giving money to me. It's a two-way street, which is I want to give you the opportunity to get access to this ebook called System and Revolution, which literally consolidates sort of 40, 50 years of my knowledge of understanding systems and what is revolution change. Um, we also have a world where people just quote people, don't study anything. Uh, and you know, you have the pro-Marxist, anti-Marxist, pro-leftist, anti-leftist, pro-right-wing, and none of these guys study anything. So this is a problem because there's no depth. This book is a potent uh, book, which within about two hours, you'll understand a, a solid concentration of knowledge. What is a system? And what is revolution? And then there's a really cool tool that I wrote, a, a technology called Your Body, Your System. Those of you outside of the United States, you cannot donate to a federal campaign. But if you want access to Your Body, Your System, you can go right to yourbodyyoursystem.com, which is right here. Talk about this. And Your Body, Your System, um, it took me about 20 years to build this tool to make it simple. It's a consolidation of taking systems thinking and integrating it with traditional systems of medicine, which have existed for about 5,000 years. And with that integration, you can actually get an understanding of what kind of system you are in this matrix of transport, conversion, and storage in this triangle. And every system in the universe is different and you are different, unique. And then you can figure out when your system is off kilter, that's what the black dot is. And then you can figure out how the inputs of food, exercises, activities bring you back to you. Now, the essence of this is not just to teach you about uh, it's not just to teach you about your uh, you know, body and health, but it's to teach you these fundamental principles of how systems operate. And so the essence of all of this is if you can really get this, um, our campaign will be more than just a U.S. Senate campaign. It'll be a campaign for truth, freedom and health, because truth, freedom and health itself is a system. So um, let me bring Joe on. I mean, um, sorry. Kyle on. Kyle, are you there? We bring you on. So, Kyle, how are you? Great. How are you, sir? Kyle, are you there? Yeah. So, uh, Kyle, maybe as I'm, I, I just want to, people have wanted me to read this one section of the book. Maybe you can just introduce yourself quickly. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, my name is Kyle Wolf. I'm from Taunton, Massachusetts. Um, I basically co founded Think Tomorrow with uh, Tony and Keith. Uh, Tony Vieira and Keith Harrison. Um, we're all great friends from high school. I studied carpentry when I was at a tech school down at Bristol Plymouth. And uh, Tony did automotive, Keith on the graphic design side. So we, you know, we had a great relationship going forward. And, you know, we kind of got together two months ago to really revamp Think Tomorrow, which is where, um, you know, we're really excited to get things going with that. And as far as having some levels of unbiased media and having different interviewees and things of that nature. Great. So what, um, one of the things, I mean, you, you understand um, uh, Kyle is someone who builds things and also has a background in making things, and I'm an engineer. Um, it, when you make things or you look at, uh, be it a computer or a kitchen you're building or a plumbing system, all these things have the same property. So in System and Revolution, that's what I talk about. One of the things I want to read here is a section of the book called Know Your System, just to get, um, and I think it'll set the 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 part of the discussion here, because in this entire thing about pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, this entire discussion about health, one of the things that's been missing 
is the fact everyone is a unique system. And you cannot apply a top-down model to medicine. And this will sort of, so this is chapter five in the book, it's called Know Your System. And it says, it's 7.30 on a frosty New England morning. Um, there's a foot of snow on the ground. And according to the weather channel at six degrees, the temperature almost matches the time. Sarah is running late for her nine o'clock writing class. And before she can leave, she has to do something about snow removal. She stayed on the phone past midnight talking to a friend about a new novel she read. Sarah became so engrossed in the conversation that she forgot to put her car in the garage. Now, before she can go anywhere, she has to figure out how to get out of the driveway. Sarah hates the cold and weather, and it takes her a long time to dress for it. She puts on long pants, a light thermal undershirt, a heavier shirt, a wool sweater, and a light down west. She pulls wool socks lined up on her uh, lined boots on her feet, wraps a thick scarf around her neck, puts a warm hat, hat on her head, and before she finally covers herself with a long hooded down coat and rushes out the door. Outside, Sarah sees several neighbors who are also busy dealing with the snow. She waves to James, who lives next door. He gives her a quick wave in return and yells out, stop running or you'll fall. Uh, James, whose driveway is reasonably snow-free, always makes sure that nobody else in the block beats him in the snow removal department. James, who tends to be abrupt and a bit of a curmudgeon, approaches things very methodically and likes to shovel his driveway by hand according to some efficiency method he once uh, shared with Sarah. She couldn't quite follow what she was saying, but it had something to do with incorporating exercise reps with snow removal. She's always amazed that James never seems to get cold. Today, James is wearing light cotton pants, a long sleeve cotton shirt and a light down vest. He has nothing on his head, but he's wearing light gloves. Aren't you freezing? She, she yells out to him. Nope, he answers. You, have, you just have to keep moving. Frank, the neighbor across the street, is also out with his new snowblower. If you brush the snow off your car, he tells her, I'll do your driveway. Frank isn't very talkative. All Sarah really knows to know, all Sarah knows about him is that he has a large extended family and seems to enjoy, quote unquote, taking care of others. This morning, she's very grateful that she has, uh, that she was in line of vision uh, and, and that he is offering his help. However, as grateful as Sarah feels, she still wishes that Frank would move a little faster. When you look at Sarah, James, and Frank, we see that they're very different from each other and that they approach life and challenges very differently. These differences are larger than the obvious ones of gender and age. In systems terminology, Sarah is dominated by transport forces. Conversion is front and center for James. In Frank, the forces of structure are less obvious, but they're nonetheless dominant. The forces of transport, conversion, and structure affect all forms of matter, energy, and information throughout nature. The strength of these forces varies from one life form to another. That strength also varies among individuals, including you, within a, within a species. The importance of these variations is being recognized by Western medicine as better diagnostic tools become available and as genome research reveals that individual character of human DNA. But the concept that every person's physiology is a system with an individual, individualized balance of energies has existed for thousands of years. This became clear to me when I received a Fulbright grant that allowed me to return to India for a study of the ancient health traditions known as Siddha. The Siddhas, the term means enlightened ones, use their own bodies as experimental laboratories to understand the interaction of three essential forces, which they call Vatha, Pitta, and Kapha. It's surprising, or maybe it's not surprising, that Vatha, Pitta, and Kapha are exact parallels of transport, conversion, and storage. Perhaps systems theory is a, simply a new terminology for ancient wisdom tradition. So the reason I wanted to share that is that one of the things, um, Kyle, is that I spent a lot of time 
not only trying to understand medical systems, but political systems and systems of change. And um, whenever people want to change things, uh, you find out that things change very little. And there are certain times in life when things change a lot. So for example, when we, you know, there was a time we should just burn wood, right? For heating and fire, et cetera. And that was a certain technology. When Einstein figured out E equals MC squared, that matter can be converted to energy and that you can split an atom. That was a theoretical uh, discovery he made. But that means with this little much plutonium, you know, you could generate a bomb that could blow up Boston, right? Versus the equivalent of that much amount of wood. So theory uh, matters. And, and the reason I read this and I share what I did, what, what we're doing at Shiva for Senate, is that if we really want change, you have to go down to the essence of the essence of the essence. And the essence of that essence is um, until people understand how systems operate, people are just going to be flailing around, you know, like the, a lot of the grifters on the internet. Right. Someone, Joe Biden says this, then they say something against him. It's a very reactive model. This happens, they say this. This happens, right. but they never get to the essence <laughs> of the problem. So that's why I wanted to read that. And, and the essence of our campaign you know, when I go to this is really about this notion of truth, freedom and health. These aren't just words and everything we've done on this campaign, even if people go down and they look at the platform, um, if you have a chance to look at it, if people actually go to the platform, um, which is in the about section, they look at it, it's founded on, the, we wrote a two page manifesto. Anyone can download, it's free. If you want to print it, um, people can use it. But the essence, when you go down to the essence of this, what you figure out is that we have to, execute a revolution for truth, freedom, and health. And that requires the futurizing of our infrastructure. So infrastructure in the words of systems theory would be structure or the storage element in any system. And that's what um, has historically helped any change ever take place. Infrastructure in Massachusetts, Massachusetts got an F minus minus in infrastructure. The United States has a D plus in infrastructure in the Western countries. So people are talking all this nonsense, but no one's understanding that the bridges are crum crumbling, the water systems are crumbling, the healthcare system is a top-down model, and you have a lot of people who do not understand science, math, engineering. And when you look at the Chinese, the Chi if you look at the Chinese Communist Party, you know, all those guys actually understand biology, they understand how cells work, they're trained engineers and scientists. And if we don't get our act together in this country, uh, which is already happening, China, the Chinese Communist Party will be essentially colonizing this country because of the fact that we have people who are no longer being trained or advised in skills, uh, in engineering, in how things work. People think they can talk their way through everything. So there's an intro for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, no, it is very interesting for sure, Dr. Shiva. Um, and it's really interesting. Uh, um, at least on my end, seeing, you know, your right, um, true health. And I would say of that well, especially on the health side, right? So a few weeks ago, I kind of made a big decision in my life to go vegetarian. Lasted two weeks and I went more vegetarian. Can you speak a little louder? So, um, um, really Kyle, focusing. Kyle, your voice is a little bit low. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, can you hear me better now? Yeah, much better. Go ahead. I can take the headphones off. No, yeah, that's okay. I don't have an issue with these. Okay, great. That's so, good. Okay, perfect. Yes. All right. Awesome. So like I said, yeah, on the health side, um, you know, really focusing on, you know, my health, you know, physically, 
mentally making sure I'm as capability on my end. Um, but, you know, perfect segue. I know you kind of really went into your uh, campaign. I'd love to hear more on some of the issues. Um, specifically, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on COVID and how maybe you would have handled it as senator and maybe some of the bills you would have proposed. Sure. So, so uh, Kyle, I, I think it'd be good to. So you live in Taunton, right? I'll, I'll answer that. I just part of what I'm you live in Taunton, Massachusetts, right? Kyle? Correct. Yeah, exactly. So oh, yep. did, you grow, um, did you grow up there? Were you born there and all that? Yes. Yeah. Born okay. and raised in Taunton, Massachusetts. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm 26 years old as of Monday. I know I got to get off all my right. parents' insurance. Um, luckily, I already have been. I have been for the last few years. Um, all right. But yeah, I'm a financial advisor on my day job, um, you know, work on cars, houses. I was a contractor for five years, mechanic for three, um, working on getting my ASC certification in two weeks. So hopefully I'll be able to obtain that. Um, but yeah, just working on diversity and, and a big thing that I believe, um, and I don't know if it, it's probably already been said before is diversify your knowledge, not your income, right? Cause the income will come as you diversify your knowledge, as you learn more and, um, really kind of be a handyman, if you will. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing because when I grew up in Jersey, you know, I learned so many things from working people, you know, I learned how to, I mean, I could paint homes still professionally. I learned that 12, 13, you know, from immigrant Yugoslavian painters who were just professionals. I learned how to landscape. I learned how to code, you know, write software. And to me, those were all skills that I learned. Um, and I think the learning of skills is something that never, language, you know, learning a language. Uh, I think to your point, the more skills people can learn, it not only diversifies them, but something that people can't take away from you. So you have that, which is what entrepreneurs learn, small business people learn, you know, when they have to run a, a company or small business, you have to learn many, many skills, accounting skills, you know, customer service skills, um, a lot of skills that uh, people who are the lawyer lobbyists have no idea of any of this. And that's why, you know, to answer your question on COVID, what I see that really took place was what we fundamentally saw taking place in this country was essentially the attack on the, not only in this country globally, the attack on the entrepreneur, the small business person, and the person with actual skills. That's what this was. And this was, this is still, and it's not over by any means. Mm -hmm. If you really go back to September, 2019, and people go Google this, go look at the repo market, R-E-P-O. The repo market is the market where people Essentially, yep. The banks overnight do over repos. Oh yeah, yeah. So the overnight. So just to, so what happens is um, overnight. You know, let's say you have a bunch of small banks. Um, they may not have enough actual cash to fulfill a transaction for the next day. So they actually go uh, take money, or they loan money, or they get loans from other banks. And there's an interest rate applied to it. That interest rate is a very important indicator of the health of an economy. Well, that interest rate was typically around one to 2%. And if you go look at, I think September 19th, I forget the exact date, 2019, it shot up to nearly 10%. I mean, you'll literally see it goes like that, okay? Right. So, uh, so that number- one thing, one thing, Dr. Shiva, also as well to point out, um, sorry to interrupt, um, but yeah, one of the other things to point out is last summer before the repo market, um, that, that issue there was the inverted yield curve on the, the, the bonds. Um, so if you look at 
uh, yield curves with bonds. Um, you know, the Fed cuts rates. That's the short term rate, obviously, as you know. And it really it inverted. And usually when you see an inversion, a recession typically follows. So we've seen that before. Um, but, you know, COVID is a different animal. We probably didn't uh, expect some kind of pandemic or whatever you want to call it at that level. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a good point um, with the repo market. But even before that, over in August or July. Yeah, here's the point I'm trying to make. This economy since 2000 for a long time has been built on sand. The world economy is not built on anything real. It's not built on people's actual skills and labor. If you actually look at the balance sheet of most of these economies, it's just assets that don't even match their actual value. So what you have is you have a fictitious economy that's been created. So people really want to separate two worlds. There's a stock market over here, and then there's the real world over here. And what's uh, emerging is people are recognizing that the stock market can keep going up or down or up, up, up like it's going, but it may have nothing to do with reality. And so you literally have essentially imagine a casino going over here, and then over here you have the real world. The real world is I come up with an idea I make something and I sell it to people and if they like it, they buy it and it actually has material value to people. If they don't, my business sucks and I have to go do something else, okay? So there's a reality of actually creating value to other human beings and through that value transaction, you build what's called a real economy. So someone has a skill, they know how to do plumbing or they know how to do electrical work, they can build homes, they can write software, uh, they create things, right? That's the real world. And over here is this fictitious world run by lawyers and lobbyists and bankers. That world was, has been crashing for a long time. In 2008, it should have completely collapsed. It should have completely been blown up and it didn't. Obama, because all the bankers met with him in the White House and they did, you know, too big to fail, right? That concept. And they did quantitative easing, which basically allowed them to print money to give the biggest bailout to the 0.0001% of people who were doing all sorts of ridiculous trades and basically playing casino over here. And what you saw was the destruction of their world, not our world, their world. In order to prop it up, they did quantitative easing, which quantitative easing is a big word. All that means it gives the Fed the right to print money. That's all it means. Absolutely. It's a very interesting word, right? right. So you, you had that go on. So, so everything should have been blown up on 2008. Instead, we kept going for the last 12 years, um, boosting up the stock market, basically by printing money. That's what really took place. And as a result of that, um, if the reason I wanted to bring up that repo market is, again, it was an indicator that this whole thing was going to crash again in September 2019. And so, in my opinion, mm -hmm. it was headed downward. And then the coronavirus, quote unquote, pandemic came at a very opportune time because this crash was gonna be worse than any depression. And what they did was the elites basically have used, because the, if you look at what's happening, interest rates were gonna go up and they cannot have interest rates go up because that would basically hurt all the elites company, which were massive debt. If you look at all these big companies, they were riding on massive amounts of debt. So you can't have interest rates go up. So what they have actually done is they have slowed down the economy. And, the, and to keep the interest rates low, because the goal is to reduce demand. So, in my, in my opinion, it's not only mine. People, um, right? People have commented on this, and if you if you look at it rationally, it took me a while to look at this in a very rational way. 
you had the COVID quote unquote crisis, you had the economic crisis taking place together. The COVID crisis in many ways was a very powerful way to literally lock us all down. I mean, there's why, why does everyone need to be locked down? And I, when I, the letter I wrote to the president said there's no, from a scientific perspective, first of all, there's no, this whole stuff is nonsense. The average person dying in Massachusetts was 82 years old. The average life expectancy is 80 years old, okay? So the bottom line is it's the immune system. You have to boost the immune system. It's so simple. So in the letter I wrote to the president, you know, which I did get a call back from the White House, it was basically saying, look, if you, there's no reason to shut down the economy. The people who are truly immunocompromised, they should be quarantined, give them immune, immune boosting things, you know, in high doses, the critical people, they should get vitamin C and the rest of us should be out there working with high dose, you know, reasonable amount of vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C, because that's what happens during this time. So that from a scientific perspective, the science was not being followed. So when something rational is not being followed, one of my mentors always said, there's another agenda. So the conclusion I've come to is this entire nonsense was because the elites, entire system of economy is built on sand. And the, the people who are paying for this are not the poor, super poor people. It's the middle-class entrepreneurs with skills, innovators and workers. That's who's being screwed in this entire process because they do not want that economy to grow because the economy that they've created is an economy based on big companies, big corporations, which need to literally um, suppress the real economy. So what you have is you have a fight between the fake economy and the real economy. That's what's fundamentally going on. And the fake economy has controlling, right now can control systems. So that's my opinion on COVID. Can you hear us? I can't hear you. Oh, let's see. Hello? Can you hear me, doctor? Yeah, yep, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead, Kyle. I, it somehow went on mute. Can you hear me now? Yep. All right, excellent. So one of the one of the things that um, I found with investment quarterly, sorry, it's covering my face. Um, so I think you'd find this very interesting, specifically to small businesses. Um, and this is one of the graphs that they provided. They did a survey of 2,300 small businesses, uh, business owners across all 50 states, right? And, you know, as a financial uh, advisor and, you know, CFO would think tomorrow, I'm really in tune with the markets and making sure I'm always keeping up with it, right? So basically what it comes down to is that 73% would have, the question really was, how long would your business survive if sales stops completely? right? Now we have less than one month, 21%, one to three, 34, four to six, 18. Those three combined, if the economy was shut down for six months or greater, 73% of those 2,300 businesses would be basically fail. They would fail um, without any stimulus, without any SBA loan, things of that nature. Now I know it's only 2,300 small businesses. I know it's a small sample size. I, I do find a lot of biases with polls and surveys. You know, you always have to keep your mind open. But at the end of the day, you know, they did 2,300 across all five, 50, excuse me. So, um, you know, this is just a, a, a critical stat. And um, I think it was small businesses more than anything, Dr. Shiva. Yeah, I, uh, 
I think America has around 23 million small businesses, if I'm right. It's the real powerhouse of this country. Um, and when they mean, uh, in one of the IBM surveys, mm -hmm. companies, uh, zero to five employees and zero to 100 employees, right? It's a range. There's VSMBs, very small, medium businesses, SMBs. It's a pretty, but it's, it's really the powerhouse of the United States. And what, and, and for that matter, most countries. So what's happened is we have literally shut down that entire infrastructure, restaurants, gyms, you know, uh, what they say are non-essential. And I think when people really try, because everyone's confused what's going on. So part of what I wanted to do here is it's a very complex systems problem. But when you start connecting the dots, the issue from a scientific perspective, the science clearly shows this is nonsense. As I've shared in all the videos, the immune system, a weakened immune system is when it's dysfunctional is what will cause you to be hurt, right? It's not like the virus attacks you, it's your own immune system attacks itself. That's number one. So from the science perspective, this whole thing is nonsense. Mm -hmm. Then, so if once you get that, you say, well, what's then really going on? Why are we being shut down? And then you follow the money. And what the money leads you to realize is that they had to slow down the economy. And the reason they had to slow down the economy was they needed to reduce demand for money. And demand for money is indicated, if you, if you put on one axis the demand for money and the other axis the interest rate, you'll see essentially more demand, more interest rates, right? So, and especially if the economy is becoming weak, not the economy mm -hmm. of everyday people are actually making something, but the economy of the elites. Their economy is built on just garbage. It's built on just garbage. And so what they had to do was they had to destroy the real economy so they could prop up their fake economy. That's how simple this comes down to when you unravel the whole thing. This was essentially done because the elites are running around um, uh, trying to dance around this and trying to figure out what to do right now. So what they did was they just essentially printed $6 trillion, which is 30% of the US GDP. And I think Nancy Pelosi wants to print another $3 trillion, which will basically be 50% of the GDP of the United States is going to be printed. And where is that money going? Well, a lot of that money is going to go right into the stock market to prop it up. Some of the money is going to poor working people to basically keep them on a reservation, right? You give them cannabis, right. a lot of it, you give them liquor, and you give them now about 2,400 bucks, right? A month. So- Yeah, the, exactly. Dr. Shiva, do you mind if I interject for a moment? Sure. So, sorry to, you know, we could finish that thought for sure. Um, I wanted to bring up a point that you just brought up. So um, Nancy Pelosi and the, the House Democrats had uh, passed in the House. Um, Freddie, sorry, my dog, I should have brought him in the other room. Um, so as Senator, as U.S. Senator of Massachusetts, would you have, would you vote in favor or against that uh, new stimulus package? Because it is a pretty big one. It's around $3 trillion. Look, the entire, <laughs> look, uh, so let me answer why I'm running for Senate, first of all, okay? So this is not Absolutely. about war or this. The issue is that we need to create a movement. And the movement in this country, the entire uh, political base, 60% uh, of lawyers are the ones who run the government, all right? So you have people who don't even know how to analyze problems anymore. They, Nancy Pelosi doesn't know what the hell's going on. She can't even have a conversation about the economy. She doesn't even understand the balance <laughs> She doesn't understand, for that matter, most of those guys in there, Democrats and Republicans. So what they do is they basically have people around them called mm -hmm. lobbyists. 
those people are the ones who are writing the bills for them. So they put us on a playing field to ask us, are you for this or against this? When it doesn't matter whether you're for or against whatever bill, the issue is they, they own the battleground. They own the policies that they're creating when the policies have nothing to do with everyday American people. So the real issue is the reason I'm running for Senate is, and the reason if you look at this movement, that's basically, I mean, I get thousands of emails now, everyday people all over the country, Massachusetts and across the world, getting excited about this concept of truth, freedom, and health. So my goal is to serve one term. I'm not, period, I'm not, that's a commitment. Let me tell you why I'm doing that. A very good friend of mine, you know, he manages about a trillion dollars, okay? One of the smartest guys I know. Um, and uh, and so, he, so I said, hey, explain the economy to me. And he said, this is a way you can understand the economy. It's, for, for everyday people, think about it, there's three buckets. Bucket one, so by the way, about $4.7 trillion of our tax dollars, right, about um, goes into the federal budget, four to five trillion. Okay, let's say 4.5 trillion. When that money goes there, it comes to Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, and people are making decisions, right, about how to spend our money. Those are these bills, as you just brought up, Kyle. I think, are you still there? Um, are you there, Kyle? I'm not sure if he's there. Um, so, so if you look at the economy, there it goes into three big buckets. One bucket is um, the bucket that Congress votes on for equity, E-Q-U-I-T-I, which means they say, well, you know, some people got a short end of the deal in life and other people didn't. So that bucket includes welfare, Medicaid, right? Food stamps, et cetera, it's bucket one. The second bucket of spending Congress votes for is for bucket two, which is security, borders, the FDA to protect us, that kind of stuff, okay? Police, defense. Then bucket three is infrastructure, which you don't see the immediate gains. It takes you, you know, maybe several years, five, 10, 20 years. Now, if you get elected, Kyle, to office, and remember Nancy Pelosi's term is only two years, right? She's the House of Representatives, a, a senator six, six years. So which bucket do you think you're going to vote for in order to get what reelected? Most of these people do not have another job. They're not scientists. They're not engineers. They're not, um, they don't have another job. So if you get into Congress, that's why I want to ask or answer that question. You get into Congress, what bucket are you going to vote for? Bucket one, two, or three on any bill? That's a question for you. Me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm going to vote. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm saying, so, I mean, for me, if I if I were to run myself. No, I'm saying if you were one of those typical. Sorry, career, what was the question? The question is, if you're a typical career politician. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, if, if a career politician is going to go in favor of the lobbyists that support them, right? Now, no, someone like yourself, who is self-made, that worked hard. No, but which bucket would you put? Which, which bucket? bucket? Yeah. Would you vote money for? I mean, I, I, that's a great question. I mean, if you were to, if you were, I would have won. I mean, I think we're losing your video, Kyle. Are you there still? Oh. Yeah, I'm still here. I mean, it's good on my end. Yeah. No, the question is, which bucket would you vote for? A typical career politician. Do you, do you understand the question? A, the, the, the physics. Yeah, is I mean, how would you define those three buckets? I'm sorry if you could. 
Yes, so the first bucket is equity, okay? Bucket one is equity, bucket two is security, bucket three is infrastructure. Equity is all those spending that they do for food stamps. Well, they're basically giving away free stuff. Bucket two is security, borders, you know, defense, police, et cetera. And bucket three is infrastructure. So if you're if you're a typical politician, which bucket would you vote for? I mean, I would assume uh, uh, bucket one, excuse me, if, as a career politician, because they're more concerned about getting voted right every two years, as you mentioned, as a, as a uh, House of Representative. I believe the senators are every six years, six year terms there. So, um, you know, I think they would go for bucket one. Right. I mean, the same reason yeah. they vote for any kind of any kind of social program that really helps, whether it's Social Security, health care for all. I mean, as they all say. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they're going to go bucket one, I think, traditionally speaking but right someone like so, so that's that's the real issue here so well that's what we need to we need to understand the dynamic um i think we're gonna go with what's best for i think infrastructure is the right answer yeah but the typical career politician the day they enter office if you're on a two-year term they literally are spending if you look at their actual calendar and someone published this if you look at a typical congressperson's calendar 90 percent of their time from the day they enter office is being spent to get reelected. That's what they're doing. So if you have a 24 month term like Ocasio-Cortez or, or Nancy Pelosi or whoever it is, you are basically, the day you walk in, if you looked at their actual calendar that their secretaries have set up for them, probably one hour is spent on legislation in an eight hour day. Seven hours is spent on building influence, meeting with donors, because they have 24 months, they have to run their next campaign. This is a dynamic everyone needs to wake up to. The day you elect these idiots, because they don't have any other job, they're jobless fools, most of them. They don't have a skill. No, this is the reality people need to wake up to. And, I'm, I'm, and, and I think the sooner people wake up to this, this systems analysis of this, the day they get elected, they're trying to get reelected. So they're not spending any time for you. So the only way to break this is, yes, we can do term limits. But here's another thing. Anyone we elect for office, how many terms are you going to serve? One term. Let me tell you why one term is important. One term means you can never get corrupted because you're going in there because it's like you have a deadline. You got a class project to finish in, you know, two weeks. You got a house to build. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, the guy's not going to pay you unless you build this house on time. I got a piece of software to deliver, right? My customers are not going to pay me unless it's delivered. So you're going to work your butt off to hit that deadline. So if I'm giving myself six years, I don't have to, I'm going to spend the other guy spending 80% of his time trying to get reelected, which means people with my election will get five times more of a senator. That means the one term I serve for six years is equivalent to serving 30 years because I don't have to be in there five terms like the Kennedys or mm -hmm. Markey here who's been in there since 47 years. Okay. This guy's been in Congress for 47 years. And the Kennedy, Joe Kennedy and that family thinks it's their inheritance. And then you have lawyers and lobbies. So we have to recognize that the fundamental way to break this is how many terms are you going to serve? And I'm saying the answer is one term. Because that means the day you walk in, because you don't have to work for re-election, you're going to be working 100% for your constituency, which means they're getting five times more of a congressperson. Right. How that math works? So now that means the day that you're in, you're not going to look at bucket one, two, and three and say, I'm going to do bucket one just to get elected. 
you're going to vote for bucket three and one dollar in bucket one returns you lose 40 you lose 60 cents one dollar in bucket three returns 600 percent return six dollars so that's why we have the destruction of this economy and the destruction of this country that's underway the chinese are building infrastructure everywhere they're training their people on you know engineering and math we are training people on aardvark theory right and some transgender course maybe they're good courses don't get me wrong okay take them but if you don't know if you don't know how to program if you don't know how to build something if you don't know how to think you're frankly uh not supporting the infrastructure of this country so that's what's going on we are literally mm -hmm. destroying the infrastructure of this country right. lawyers and lobbyists and people who don't know anything so when you ask me that question right because i i'm going to be in there for one year term, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be in there creating a movement, bottoms up for people. I'm going to say, look, if I'm on the Senate floor, I'd be saying, look, this entire stimulus package has nothing to do with helping the working people of this country. Let let the elite system fall. What we need to do is to support small business. That's what we should be doing. And so when you take that approach, Kyle, what ends up happening is a whole different set of programs. Let me give you one of them. Digital Rights Act, freedom. We need to make sure the Postal Service does its actual duty. And the Postal Service should be ensuring that you and I can communicate freely without Google, Facebook, and the four major telcos. That's what they were actually created for. They were actually created to ensure that we had free and open communication, okay? They weren't created just to be the postal mail system. They were, they sh we should be, the Postal Service should offer us an equivalent of, you know, email, Facebook, YouTube, et cetera. That's what they should be offering. It's called the Digital Rights Act. When you get to something like, you know, we have all these public, beautiful public schools. A lot of money has gone into them. They should be all opened up for working people to use at night. So you should be able to use their labs, all those things to re-educate people. We need to have a resurgence of really building back the infrastructure of this country. And what we're witnessing right now is a destruction of that infrastructure, which involves small businesses. That's what we're witnessing. So yeah, I wouldn't support the stimulus bill. No way. Interesting. Very interesting. I wouldn't vote for it. Right, right. It's, that's a it's private. That's a great take. I was hoping for that answer at the end. <laughs> well, what's happening is the elites want us to oh, sorry. their losses, right? And uh, and they get to privatize their profits. You see what I'm saying? It's when they lose, we all have mm -hmm. to pay for it. That's what they're actually doing. You know, they're distributed to all of us. And when they get profits, it all goes to them. Right, right. Um, so I guess one of the um, questions I'd like to ask you specifically, Dr. Shiva, is um, you know, historically speaking, I know the uh, the Democrats and the progressives typically have that young vote, or at least they try to, rather of being young as a Democrat, you become a Republican, what have you. Uh, my question to you is, I guess, what is your message to young voters, um, specifically young voters like myself, 26 years old, um, you know, uh, people in college, things of that nature. I guess, what is your message to those voters in Massachusetts? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, uh, it, if you go to my website, vashiva.com, the theme that I have on there is called creating the future. 
And so if you look at the founders of this country, all of them had, they're very, not only educated people, but skilled people. Um, someone like Franklin was a printer, right? He learned electricity. I mean, he learned many, many things. Uh, uh, Jefferson was an architect. Um, Washington was a surveyor, you know, he could, he knew how to farm. So one of the biggest messages for young people is that their future is gonna be directly dependent on what skills that they acquire. And what, you know, and that's how they're gonna create their future. And their future is directly, directly connected in a very material way to what skills that they acquire and what the infrastructure that is provided in what I call the public commons. So do the roads work? Do the water systems work? Do the healthcare infrastructure work, right? And the nature of that infrastructure will determine their future. So, and right now their future is essentially being sold out. They're being shorted by a generation of lawyers and lobbyists who do not give a damn about the next generation. So they're gonna burden them with heavy amount of debt, the heavy amount of inflation. And the fact is, as I mentioned, the infrastructure of the United States is right now a D plus. We, the United States has the highest infant mortality rates in the Western world, the lowest longevity rates, highest obesity rates. So if you look at a person of today, and you go, and in fact, the life expectancy rate of someone born in the last 20 years is going to be less than the generation before. This has never occurred before. So what you're witnessing here is that the lawyer lobbyists have destroyed the future for the future for the next generation. However, there's a way out. And that way out is recognizing we have to completely turn the tables on this. We have to start recognizing that a people have to take personal responsibility for their lives what they put into their body, what they put into the, how they get education, as well as who they uh, elect to represent them and fight for them. We keep electing lawyers and lobbyists. We keep electing people because their name happens to be a Kennedy, right? Or a celebrity. And that entire model is gonna destroy this country. You, do you know in China, you know who they have up on billboards? Do you know they have on billboards in China? Kyle, can you hear me? No, that's a that's a great question. No, I, that's a great question. They have they have scientists and engineers, okay? So they're celebrities. Like a, a famous American scientist went to China. You know, you know, no one even knows him here, but he said there was a line of five thousand people going around the building to get his autograph. And a U.S. scientist went there. Okay, he was an engineer and a scientist. My point is. People have to recognize that when a carpenter builds a beautiful kitchen, right? That's a lot of skill. When a, when a person um, makes, mm -hmm. you know, these are absolute skills people have forgotten. Uh, America used to make the best machinery at one time in the world, American made. I mean, a friend of mine had these pair of scissors from a hundred years old. I mean, they are solidly made. You can't buy those things anymore. So the Maytag washing machine, right? There were things that were just made, just beautifully constructed, not all this nonsensical electronics. So for, so for young people, the opportunity for them is to reset and say, you know what, I wanna create the future. That's what this country was based on. This country's greatness came from people acquiring skills, having the ability to create the future for themselves. And so we're at a very important tipping point 
And I believe, literally, I believe we have about, this election year is gonna make the difference which way this country goes for the next 80 years or 100 years. And that's why electing people who are one of us, which is people like me, people like you, who come bottoms up is what's gonna make the difference. The top-down model is gonna destroy this country. It's never gonna work. And it's, it is destroying this country inside out. So for, for young people like you, I think the, what, the reason I wanna only serve one term, Kyle, is that I want to, in that one term, inspire other people like you to run for office, you see, everyday people, and create a legacy of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people entering public service and then leaving. You're not supposed to be there forever, two years, six years, and then get the hell out, go back to your work, right? That was the idea of being um, of noble service to this country. You're supposed to serve, bring your skills, and then leave. So I hope that answers your right, question. Right, absolutely, Dr. Shiva. Um, Let's say one. Did, yeah, certainly, yeah. certainly, certainly did. Yeah, one more, sure. So I know one of the things that you're promoting um, in your campaign is health, and specifically to health. I have a question regarding that. Now, um, what happened with COVID that we've noticed is that we started seeing meat plants shut down, specifically like Tyson, things of that nature. Now, the House Democrats proposed a bill, and it, it did get passed in the House. I don't know if it got passed in the Senate yet. It was last week it got posted, um, and I had saw I had read it on the Wall Street Journal there. Now, what they're trying to do is remove the country of origin logo. It's called Cool um, on meat. So if you have meat coming from Canada, China, India, Russia, South Africa, what have you, right? Now, now they're trying to remove that. I, I'm very curious to see, um, you know, your thoughts on that, especially to health, right? In regards to that. So, um, you know, it's very, there's a member that wants to be eating, you know, things from that are reputable sources, right? At the end of the day, um, is that a big deal to you as, as a consumer? It is for me at least. Well, you're asking a very important question, Kyle. So the bigger question here um, from a system standpoint is regulations, right? So the Democrat, so basically in the United States, uh, from my understanding, there are four major meatpacking companies. Two are owned by US companies. One is owned by a Chinese company. Um, and the other is a Brazilian company out of the four major meatpacking. One of the things that's, you know, in the old days, you had lots and lots of small butchers, right? I mean, there should be a butcher right in Belmont. He's gone. There should be a fish market here, gone. So you used to have the meatpacking or the distribution was more decentralized, right? You had local farmers, you would get it there and you would get it local. So now the advantage of that is you make sure your, your supply chain is never threatened. What we've done over the years is through regulations, um, uh, through regulations, what's happened is the Democrats typically promote regulations. Oh, we want to save you, right? We need safety in meat, right? Or we have to make sure that uh, uh, we're protecting you. That safety uh, narrative then results in a regulation. And that regulation typically ends up leading to a monopoly. So you destroy the small meat packers, you destroy the small guys, and you consolidate power. And then the quote unquote right, the Republicans, the establishment Republicans, help create monopolies. You see what I'm saying? So the quote unquote left pushes regulations oh. for safety. And then the right uses that to help create monopolies for their buddies. So Smithfield, for example, one of the big pig farms was just sold to China. Okay. 
consolidation. Mm -hmm. So now you basically, so the, the reason I'm bringing that up is the big guys always want regulations. It's going to sound counterintuitive. They love regulations. And it, it seems like, you know, they wouldn't want regulations, but they love regulations because regulations means you and I, let's say you and I wanted to start a meatpacking company tomorrow. We can never, we can never start it because the amount of, ta you know, taxes and all this other stuff we need to pay, we would never be able to survive. So broadly, what we need to do in any of these industries is we need to make local, like with meatpacking, I would say local butchers, you buy stuff locally, no tax. We should drive businesses back to local, localism, okay? You buy anything local, local farmer, no tax. You buy local butcher, no tax. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. But so that we need to bring things back to the local environment. I mean, so when you do the big meat packing, well, I mean, I don't know if you've seen these factory farms, they're crazy. The the, the animals are treated like dirt, right? They get mm -hmm. their apples. I mean, I did a thing on adrenochrome. A lot of people wanted me to it's do it. terrible. Yeah, yeah so steroids and everything. Steroids, you know, the, the food is GMO. Most of it's all GMO food. They're in small pens. Um, so it's basically about hyper-production. And that's what, what it's all about. Now, within that environment, they'll have safety issues, they'll have regulations, but I'm saying the whole battleground is nonsense. So I'm saying what we really need to do is we need to really drive in the meatpacking thing, the discussion that never, see the elites always, they bound the discussion, they have a squabbling about nonsense. The real issue is why have we destroyed so many local meatpackers? Why have we destroyed the local butcher? Why have we destroyed local farms? That's really the question. Because when you get organic grass-fed meat, we know it has less arachidonic acid in it. It has much more omega-3s to six ratio. Mm -hmm. You even take the factory farm fish. The farm-raised salmon is actually inflammatory versus the wild, wild salmon. So what we should really be talking about, what is the purpose here? Just to eat meat or is a goal for health? Now, if you get wild hunted meat, right, or wild meat, or you get the meat that's grown in the pasture race with grass, you actually boost the immune system. So it's not about, again, it's not, a, I mean, we can talk a whole thing about vegetarian, non-vegetarian, but the real issue is the fact that the entire model is big is better. They create a fictitious economy. They impose regulations. And at the end of the day, you and I suffer. That's what they do. This has nothing to do with the meat packing industry is what I'm trying to say. So that's what I'm saying as a U.S. Senator, I'll always be bringing this discussion to the reality. So bill that I would propose, right? If I were a Senator is basically say, you know what? Local meat packing industry, right? You basically make it very hard for them to survive. I mean, I mean the, the, the big guys, we should eliminate a lot of these regulations and enable local butchers again. I mean, why can't you get great meat locally? That's, I mean, it's, I have to drive, you know, I go all the way out to Western Mass. Absolutely. To get raw right. milk or to get good meats, right? Um, and then meanwhile, we're shipping meat from China over here. I mean, we're taking our chickens and we send it to China for processing. And then we bring it back here. I don't know if you know that. The whole thing is, is become one of supporting big is better. And we need to go back to small. And, and look at, and, and I think in closing, the reason I think this discussion is important is what is occurring right now is a destruction of the small business, the local business owner. And that says it all to me.
Anyway, Kyle, uh, I hope we get a chance yeah, to meet. You're definitely right about that, Dr. Shiva. Yeah, I mean, so look at someone like you who's very eager to learn. You know, you're young. I'd definitely be. Yeah, I mean, you're a young entrepreneur. Um, you have a lot of skills. What a society should be encouraging in you is and supporting you um, is a way that you could become a thriving, you know, entrepreneur, right? Um, giving you ability to get new skills, um, not being burdened with regulations. Um, that you, it is truly a level playing field. And when you impose regulations, you make it very, very valuable for the big guys. Small doctors can't do it. They have to go to big hospitals. A small bank can't survive because of Dodd-Frank. You know, small truck drivers can't compete with the big truck drivers. Everything is intended to go big, big, big and to destroy the small guys. That's why we have to unite and we have to fight. And that's why the election in Massachusetts, you know, my running is a historical one because it's actually our future. It's our future for survival. You know, everything I've done has been always small business. You know, I started seven small companies here, created thousands of jobs, actually created products. And I'm running against three lawyers, Kyle. Think about it. I'm running against three lawyers. <laughs> right? What a world, Dr. Shiva. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we should come down to Taunton, you know, get some lawn signs from us. Everyone, if you're listening, go to Shiva for Senate, get, get a bunch of lawn signs for you guys. You know, he who has the more lawn signs win. So lawn signs, bumper stickers, make sure you get them. And um, we have to win this election. The US, our U.S. Senate, when I say our, I don't mean mine. I mean, our U.S. Senate race is in the center of the deep state of the world, which is Massachusetts. So we, ha we, we have no choice but to win here. All right, Kyle. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. thank you, Dr. Shiva. And it was a pleasure being on. Yep. Yes. Hey, thank it was a pleasure. And uh, for all of us, for anyone, everyone watching here, follow us on uh, Think Tomorrow on Facebook. Uh, we'll be seeing this up and, um, you know, really look forward to meeting you, Dr. Shiva, sometime yeah, in the future. Let me just repeat your handle. It's Think, T-H-I-N-K, Tomorrow, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W, right? That's your Twitter handle too, right, Kyle? Kyle? Yes, yes. We're on Twitter as well. Think tomorrow. WV is the at there. And um, peoplethinktomorrow.com. So awesome. You can find all of our content there. We've had other politicians uh, locally. We're, we're actually hosting a debate in August uh, with the Democrats. Yeah, we're hosting a congressional district. So that is actually Joe Kennedy's old seat. And now you're going against them, which is great. And I would have, uh, next time I'd love to talk about. Um, you know, his race and how you're differentiated and, you know, you topics there. So we'll definitely talk more and hope to do this sometime soon in the future. Okay. Thanks so much, Kyle. Thank you. Best to you and your, your friends. Be well. All right. Thanks, Thank you. All yeah. Right. By the way, everyone, will appreciate it. Have a great night. We'll be back in about five minutes with our next interview with April Chandler. Thank you.